I got a question for you. How much do you know about Jesus? Oh, how about this one? How much do you think you should know about Jesus? I wonder if we ever entertain that question. Well, look, let's look at it like this. If you love someone, right, don't you want to know them? Seems like I would say the more you love someone, the more you want to know them. You want to know their background, where they were born, where they grew up, where they went to school, what's their favorite ice cream, what kind of cars do they like, what kind of weather do they like, what's their political affiliation. Oh, that might ruin it. <laughs> but you want to know as much as you can about that person. Because you love him. Well, when we think about the Lord Jesus, oh, there's a lot to learn. Oh, yeah, there's a lot to learn about the Lord. For instance, his names. God has many names because they all kind of reflect a particular attribute or character that he has. Um, his pre existence. It's good to know that Jesus existed before creation. That's important. That makes him God. How, what else? He talked about the warnings of end times. Good to know those things. I think we're at the uh, threshold of end times events. Things are really ramping up, it seems, lately. The whole world is kind of imploding. How about his teachings? It's good to know the teachings of Jesus as we you know, read through the Gospels and you read those letters in red, right? All the wonderful things Jesus said. It's good to know his callings on people, that he calls people into service. I wonder how many Christians really know that, that he's called us into service in the kingdom of God. You know what else is good to know? His prayers. Oh, he prayed some beautiful prayers. He certainly did. And we studied some of those in recent days. His high priestly prayer, where he prays for future believers, prays about spiritual warfare. I mean, praise about the manifestation of his Father's name. and Oh, so much. Wonderful prayer life Jesus had. So, as we learn about the Lord as much as we can, there's something that's very important that we should all know, and that is why he came to earth. Why did he come? Why did he leave the paradise of heaven and come down to this dust planet of earth? Now, it's one thing to know in your heart some of these answers, but it's another thing to be able to communicate them to other people. And that's the place that we want to be. We don't just want to know about these things. We want to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is in us. So we should have a, I would call it a working knowledge of Jesus. Not just the knowledge, but a working knowledge, the ability to explain to someone else everything we know about the Lord. Think about his mission. What was his mission? Was it one-dimensional? Was it multifaceted? Did he come to do one thing? Did he come to do many things? We know and believe that Jesus died for us, but it's good for us to know some of the specifics of his death. 
And that's why today we're going to take a look at six reasons why Jesus died. And again, it's not just to know these things, but it's to have a working knowledge. To be able to relay these things to other people, maybe an inquirer, someone's curious, or maybe someone needs to be reminded, or maybe someone you're trying to invest in, or you're teaching, or you're leading, you're discipling. So I would get a pen and paper and just write down some of these things. Six reasons why Jesus came and why he died. He came, number one, to reveal God to men. He came to show us what God was like. And the Bible tells us, because all of these are scripturally supported, of course, that's what we do here on New Hope Radio. In John 1.18, Jesus said, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So God is a spirit. No human has seen God. So Jesus came, and He came to explain what God is like. And the word explain, it means not only to declare, but to unfold. I like that word. Unfold. You know, when you unfold something, you're, you're going deeper to the inside. You know, how would we ever know God apart from Jesus? We wouldn't. And that's why we've got so many people running all over the world trying to find out God. And they're trying to do it without Jesus. And they get all these crazy ideas of who God is. And that's all you get without Christ. If you leave Christ out of the picture, you'll never get a picture of the one true God. Oh, you'll get a, these crazy images and crazy philosophies and religions, and none of them make any sense. None of them. Incarnation doesn't make any sense. Annihilation doesn't make any sense. But when you get to know Christ, then you'll get to know God. So we'd never know God without Christ. How could we? Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Oh, we see Jesus in action. And it's just like as if God was in action. Jesus is deity in a body. That's what he is. He's deity in a human body. So God revealed himself through his son in a physical body. And the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, they all point to the Father. That's pretty cool. Secondly, Jesus came to provide an example for living. And this is very important. Because the Christian life, and I've said this a few times, it's not just spiritual. It's practical. You can't separate your spirit from your body. They commend one another. They complement one another. And Peter had this idea, right? He said in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, talking about talking to Christians, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, here's the key word, follow. And I think we've got a two-tone meeting here. Number one, Jesus did suffer. That's the price that he paid to come down and reveal God to us so we would learn to be like him. But then number two, do you think it's possible that Peter is saying, if Jesus suffered, 
we're to follow in his steps, and that might include some suffering as well. How can we never hear those messages from the big-name preachers? You never hear about picking up your cross, suffering for the cause of Christ. It's always about blessing and destiny and joy and happiness and abundance and But that's part of it. That's not all of it. Even the Apostle Paul said that I would know the Lord Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. Can't leave that part out. So the key word is follow. You think everybody's following someone? I think probably everybody is following somebody because we're all products of learned behavior. We've all seen behaviors and we imitate those behaviors. Kids yell when they grow up. They yell at their kids because their parents yelled at them. Or kids are affectionate when they grow up to their kids, when they grow up and they have kids because their parents were affectionate to them. You see? So we kind of take on the behaviors of our role models, so to speak. So Jesus modeled some wonderful qualities, and he says, listen, how about following me? He modeled servanthood when he washed the disciples' feet. And he even said, you know what I've done? Do it to one another. He modeled compassion when he healed the sick. He modeled forgiveness when people were brought to him that were in sin. He modeled acceptance toward those who were rejected. They were outcasts of society, maybe because of their behavior, maybe because of their sickness, leprosy, anything. But Jesus showed us how to accept people. There was racism back in those days between the the Jewish people and the Gentiles, and they didn't get along. The Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. And Jesus broke down that barrier, and he went to Samaria, and he did works there, and he healed, and he preached the gospel, and he tried to bring the two together. He said, now follow me. I've given you an example. Follow me. If Jesus didn't come, we wouldn't have an example on how to live. If Jesus didn't come, we wouldn't have a picture of what God the Father was like. Number three, he came to provide the sacrifice for sin. And I've got some lengthy scriptures here, beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 1, where it says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. So think of it. The law and the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament They were a shadow or a representation of what Christ would be. A shadow is not the real substance, but it's like a a representation of the substance. You can see the outline. And that's what the Old Testament sacrifices were. And then it says otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered. If they weren't a shadow, they'd still be offering sacrifices today. But because Christ is that once and for all sacrifice... There's nothing greater. There's nothing. Why offer something less when that which is greater has already been sacrificed? So it says in verse 3, In those sacrifices, 
there is a reminder of sins year by year. Yeah, every year on the Day of Atonement, they're reminded of their sins. But he says, no, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It doesn't do it. Therefore, when Jesus comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus knew that his body was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he knew his mission because he said in verse 7, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Oh, Jesus knew why he came. He knew that he came to die. Oh, he knew that he came to reveal God. He knew that he came to give us an example for living. And he knew that he came to die. And to die a horrific death, but to bring about something good. The salvation of the souls of men. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus did it. So it never has to be done again. And that's why verse 10 says, By this we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So if Jesus stayed in heaven, this could never happen. If he didn't come to earth in his incarnation and take on human form, he could never atone for the sins of the world because deity cannot die. Only humanity can die. So Jesus took upon himself humanity so the human part of him would be the offering for the sins of the world. And if he paid for every sin that was ever committed, wow, that is equivalent then to the pain that he suffered on the cross and under his father's wrath. Like he didn't pay for a few sins or some sins. He paid for every sin. And he received the chastisement for every sin that would ever be committed in human history. That is one heavy sacrifice. That's a Selah moment when we think about it and we reflect. We say, wow, he didn't just pay for my sins. He paid for the sin of every human being. It's incredible. The fourth reason that he came, and this is very important because in some circles, I don't think people know this. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And we're going to see the ramifications of that. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now, that's pretty straightforward. And he did it, not as God, not as an angel, as a man. I'm like, what? An inferior person defeated a superior person. A human defeated the highest of all the angels. Because Jesus didn't cheat. He didn't do it as deity. He did it as a man. So what does that mean for us? Oh, it means good things. We do not fear the devil. No, you don't fear him. Why? 
He's defeated. There's nothing to fear. We do not rebuke the devil. Nothing to rebuke. I know in some circles they rebuke the devil, but there's no need. There's no need. He has no power over you. We do not entertain the devil. Why? The Bible says resist him. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Like, you know what the greatest compliment, not compliment, the greatest insult you can pay to someone? Ignore them. You ignore somebody. They don't like it. Ignore the devil. Ignore him. He's a nothing. He's been stripped. There's nothing going for him. Not for the Christian. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You've got God, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. The devil's no match. He's no match at all. So we're not even occupied with him. Not at all. Resist him. He's defeated. And he'll flee from you. Because, you know, we can get so wrapped up in going after the devil that we don't go after God. That's the key. Go after God. There's a lot better outcome going after God. God took care of the devil. He's already been sentenced. Now he's just going to carry it out. And at the judgment of the great white throne, boom. A sentence will be carried out. He'll be cast in the lake of fire. So yeah, he's got some freedom now. He's like out on probation, so to speak. <clears throat> but he's very limited in what he can do, especially for the non-Christian. All he can do is send his demons to put negative thoughts in your mind but what what do you do? You cast them down. You take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You reject negative thoughts. You don't entertain them. You get to know their source. They're from the kingdom of darkness. You set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Whatever whatever things are lovely and admirable and of a good report, think on those things. That's where we set our mind, not on the negative projections of the evil one. That's all they are, projections. So you resist them with a shield of faith. Number five, the fifth reason Jesus came, to be a merciful and high priest. And again, the book of Hebrews is pretty good with this. Chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren. In other words, human. Another reason Jesus had to be human. He had to be like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to satisfy God in the work that he would do as a priest. What does the priest do? The priest stands between God and man. He's the bridge. Now, because Christ is the ultimate high priest, and the Old Testament priesthood has been abolished, we know we now go to God on our own. We are, the Bible calls us, believer priests. We're our own priests. And we can go directly to God. We don't need another human to go to God for us. Jesus already established that when he became a man and he became our priest. So now we have more good news, Hebrews 4.15. It identifies how Jesus was so much like us, 
where it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Now that double negative is confusing, so I would read it like this. We do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. That's what we do. We have a high priest that intercedes for us, and he knows what it is to be us. He knows what it is to be you. He knows what it is to hurt like you, because he hurt in his humanity. He knows what it is to be hungry and thirsty, because he was in his humanity. He knows what it is to be a human, because he was a human. So we have someone that we adore and that we worship that knows just what it is to be like us. See, the Greeks and Romans, their gods, they were were so far removed from humanity, they couldn't identify. But we can identify with the Lord and he can identify with us. And Jesus, in his priesthood, he was offerer and offering. What? He was both. In the Old Testament, the priest brought the offering. But at the cross, Jesus brought himself. He was the offerer, and he was the offering. Wow. And then sixthly, Jesus came to earth to fulfill the Davidic covenant. Now, this was prophesied way, way back, 700 years ahead of time, by Isaiah, He said in Isaiah 9, verse 7, that there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come through the lineage of David and establish a kingdom. And then in Luke one thirty one, the coming of Christ was fulfilled, where it was told, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There's the covenant. He will reign over the house of Jacob, forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So in order for Jesus to reign, he had to become a human, and he's going to reign in the millennial kingdom as one of us. But yet, as God, the hypostatic union, God and man. And let me give you a bonus reason why Jesus came, that he would be highly exalted. Because the Bible says in Philippians 2, that he was found in appearance as a man, And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And here it comes. So that that at the name of Jesus, that's going to happen one day, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. Oh, so there you have it. This is why Jesus became a man, why he came to earth. Can you relay these things to someone else? Can you explain this? Because this is the foundation of our faith, right? So you've got to explain, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you go to church? Why do you give your life to the Lord? Why do you do these things? This is why. And we should have a working knowledge of Christ as much as we possibly can. So let me review. Why did he come? To reveal God to men, to people, to show people what God was like. Secondly, to provide an example for living. How you doing with that one? Following in his steps, walking in his shoes, learning servanthood, forgiveness, compassion, modeling the qualities of Jesus. He gave us an example. Three, to provide the sacrifice for sin. We all know that one. Came to shed his precious blood so we could be forgiven. Number four, to destroy the works of the devil. That's done. Wash your hands of that guy. His works are destroyed. Number five, to be a merciful high priest. He was the offerer and offering. He intercedes for us. He knows what it is to feel what we feel. Number six, to fulfill the Davidic covenant. That was prophesied that he would reign over his kingdom, and he will. And then the bonus, that he would be highly exalted. What a day that's going to be, isn't it? What a day that's going to be when everybody finally says, there he is. He is worthy. Oh, Jesus is worthy. Right now, only the minority of people ascribe royalty to Jesus. But one day, the whole world, those in heaven, those on the earth, those those under the earth, they will say, Jesus is Lord, and God the Father will be glorified. Aren't you glad you're going to be in that number? Oh, yeah. The saints come marching in. I want to be in that number. I want to be on that side. I want to take all these things that Jesus did, and I want to be the benefactor of his life and his work. And God wants everybody to benefit. That's why our lives are so important. We get to know this stuff so we can tell this stuff. We get to know about Jesus so we can tell people about Jesus. And that's to the salvation of their own souls as well. So I hope this was inspiring. I hope it was motivating. Thanks for coming along. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.